0: Do you remember where you were when we elected a Sasquatch president? How about when you learned Ben Franklin was a robot? Or first heard Stalin's mixtape? I'm Zach Powers. I'm Brian Flynn, and we host The Revisionists. Each episode, one person explains real history, and another tells an alternate version. And the winner becomes the truth. We let comics from Denver and around the country run wild through history. It's an in-depth look at history, but with more Babadooks. Check out The Revisionists, available every other Saturday. Wherever you get podcasts and at revisionistpodcast.com. The John of All Trades Podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network in the Shadow of the Mountains. We, we speak. You have all made it to the dance. You have all made it Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast episode 172. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, I've got one of my favorite people I've gotten to meet professionally. Her name is Dr. Becky Takeda Tinker, and she is the president of CSU Global. Now, I met Dr. Becky, as she is known, around her office through one of the boards upon which I am the staff, and she was a board member. She rolled off that board recently, and as I learned in this week's episode, she rolled off that board because she is focusing on the business of CSU Global, and there is a ton going on there. If you're unfamiliar with CSU Global, it is a thoroughly online university, and they have built their reputation over the last number of years, into an extremely estimable organization, and I'm proud to feature their work here. One of the things that's striking about talking to Dr. Becky is her subject matter expertise and her drive and her focus and her direction are nearly unparalleled, yet there's a warmth to her, there's an approachability, there's an accessibility. I tell her in this that I feel like I could pick up the phone and call her and she would answer And that, despite the fact that she has roughly a billion things going on. That speaks to the high quality of her character and the nature of her leadership. Another thing that bears mention, and I even bring this up during the show, is the modesty of her office. When you think of the president of a university, you know, you think probably a big fancy office with, you know, oak or mahogany or whatever. And no, it was a very sort of small office where she had just like a regular table and not a lot of space, but she talks about why that is the way it is. And I think you'll get great insight here into not only a very keen mind and a leader in higher education, but a nice portrait of leadership in action. Very excited to bring this week's episode to you. You can find out more about CSU Global by going to the John of All Trades website, j-o-n-of-all-trades.us, and there will be a companion blog piece about this week's episode there. And as long as you're in the clickin' mood... Go to our sponsor, Four Degrees, the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. They have been the sponsor of the John of All Trades podcast since episode one. And I'm proud to feature their work. Campaigns, website building, online advertising, social media marketing. These are their areas of expertise, and I would argue they are unparalleled at what they do. If you have a message that needs to reach people, you need to be talking to Four Degrees because they will get your message in front of the people who need to hear it most and do it for a cost that is very, very reasonable. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Now then, episode 172 of the John of All Trades podcast is Dr. Becky Takeda-Tinker, the president of CSU Global. Her episode starts right now.
1: It's everything. And it's a Friday. <laughs>
0: <When> <laughs> Whatever
1: happened to having a free Friday?
0: <laughs> when will people learn that Friday is a day to catch up, right? Right. Um And here I am on a Friday, just taking more of your time. That's uh, the way it goes, though, right?
1: But I appreciate that you have stopped by so that we could have a <laughs> chat.
0: Yeah, because it's been a long time. I mean, uh, we met initially on... Uh, you served on a board... Uh, which I was staffed for and yep. I generally don't cross the streams too much on this show. But, um, yeah, we were able to connect. We did some radio shows together and, uh, been looking. I, we were at that Denver Business Journal thing too.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah.
0: yeah. The, uh, the thought leader thing. Yes. Which was cool, but odd when they did that survey that they ended up publishing.
1: Yeah. I think it was really to write an article. So. Yeah. <laughs> Which- and and they did charge for lunch, except for the people that <laughs> the power book. That's what it was. Right. Power book. Yeah. So I I got my lunch for free. I believe. I, did I don't too, believe yeah. I paid for it.
0: Yeah. If if you were honored as part of their deal, then yes, you you got in for free. But anyone you wanted to bring, it's like, hey, uh, have them cough up a C note.
1: Yes. <laughs> and, and you go.
0: Oh, thanks. That's-, <laughs> that's why
1: you went by yourself, and I went by myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right, and that was not uh, not an uncommon thing. But uh this is Dr. Becky Takeda Tinker. You are the president of CSU Global. That's right. And it's a pleasure uh to have you and like I said, to just reconnect because it's been it's been far too long. I, uh let's see here. So that PowerBook thing was last year and then you rolled off of that board, what, two years ago?
1: Yeah, it's been two years. Wow, that's fast. That's crazy, isn't it? Right. I'm really just trying to focus on the things that Finishing up things that I've been involved in as I make room for new things. Right. And I'm all about renewal and and adapting to change. And I think our environment is such that it requires some constraints. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I am just running around and not really moving the meter.
0: Right. I am
1: about doing things that move the meter or not doing them at all. So
0: I think that's wise. I had a boss who said he was spread too thin and he said, I have like seven jobs right now and I don't do any of them well. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> which it can feel that way. So what kind of new things are you involved with?
1: Yep. So really looking at this intersection between higher ed and work, Okay. Um, doing a lot of research on my own time. Also, we have launched in the CSU System um, Foundation uh, a new company, and it's called Beyond Campus Innovations, which okay. provides – Education support services, mostly for those that want to have online coursework and support in that area. So it's businesses. There's a lot of demand from businesses now to put their organizational training fully online uh, rather than the face-to-face format. We see a lot in nonprofit, a lot of demand there, and then also for some other higher ed institutions. So I have taken on the interim CEO role for that while we get that up and running, and uh, we now have a full staff upstairs. Uh, we've got projects, uh, it's got positive cash flow. So wow. that's been about the last year and a half, and that's taken a lot to run two organizations.
0: I would think so. <laughs> and it's like when the Broncos are two-time champions, you're like two-time CEO, <laughs> but you're doing it simultaneously.
1: It is. So <laughs> I have not stopped working. I work practically seven days a week. And so it is just hectic. It requires me to be very intentional and focused on what I'm doing. And that's why I have let things go as, my terms have come up. Um, But as I look at even turning over the position for BCI or beyond campus innovations, as that we're able to bring in new leadership there so that I can fall off of that. It's opening up that space so that I can be more intentional about what I'm passionate about, Mm -hmm. which is this area of helping people help themselves um, workforce development. I very much believe in, helping people keep up with what is coming and be prepared uh, for that. When we think about robotics, uh, when we think about the rapid change, just given the fact that everything's now driven by technology, um, that the pace becomes exponential And how do we keep up with that? And how do we keep making sure that people have the skills they need to do those jobs?
0: Right. It's almost like uh, I think I saw you say that the pace of technology changes every 18 months to two years. But it's almost like in the past we would grow at an uh, arithmetic rate. Right. Whereas now it's almost like we're growing at a geometric rate. And-
1: right. That's Moore's law, right? So right. I think it's every, uh, was it 10 years? It doubles, right? Yeah. So it is just increasingly faster. And with artificial intelligence and robotics entering, it really will change how we do work and what we do i think we we still will need people humans oh, yeah. are extremely important but they will need to be reskilled and upskilled into other areas
0: yeah it's it's interesting i had a conversation on this podcast about uh, an a, with an ai expert and they were trying to almost automate writing which i thought mm-hmm. was one of the strangest things to try and automate with with more automation you you're almost putting people out of work in that way so what does the future of work look like so i'm fascinated by this initiative that you're taking on. And I'm I'm also struck by your notion of helping people help themselves. Is that how you view higher education? Is that almost a tool for helping people help themselves?
1: yeah that's really good. It is uh higher ed is just one of those ways so i yes, I am passionate about helping people help themselves, and I see higher ed as a pathway. I see trade schools as another pathway, a very important uh, role that those play community colleges uh, organizational training yeah. and the impact that you can have on an employee and their life and their ability to realize they can still learn and grow becomes extremely important as we look into the future. And so I'm grateful for what higher ed can do, but it is not the only pathway.
0: Yeah. Uh, No, I mean, and that's something that uh, one of the spiritual predecessors of this show was certainly Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe. Oh, yeah. You know, if you think about it, he would go to the most unglamorous parts of the workforce and say, hey, how do you do what you do? And that show really inspired me because I like to talk to people and how did you get where you are? How do you do what you do? Mm -hmm. And so he talks a lot about the need for trade schools and trades people Mm -hmm. and you know, and apprenticeships. Apprenticeships.
1: And internships, how important that's going to be yeah. so that when you don't have training ready, because the pace of change is so fast, right. that you can at least provide one-on-one or one-on-many you know, inside of an organization so that the person can learn the skills relevant to keeping a, uh, keeping a job oh. and then moving to the next job.
0: One thing that I'm curious about, this is CSU Global, and... You know, you're obviously integrated into the local community. You know, you serve on local boards. You interact with local workforce development programs. But the global part of the title is something that's interesting to me because how does CSU fit in in terms of Denver, Colorado, and then where does it fall sort of nationally and globally? And, and how do you balance your enrollment that way?
1: Mm. So CSU Global does not receive state funds. And so when you hear about all the... Wait, what? Really? We do not receive state funds. Never have by state statute. It was required to move that way in order to allow CSU Global to be formed. So it was formed with a $12 million loan by the CSU System Board of Governors. Oh, wow. Okay. Which has since been repaid with interest.
0: Oh, nice. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, And so back in two thousand and. I guess we launched to to, uh, about 200 students in 2008 September, and then I left after we got that off the ground. And then when it in 2009, you know, you're at the height of the recession, and the board was not sure that it would be able to provide any more funds for the institution, and it started to run out of cash. Then I came back to make sure that it would, in fact, survive. It's a very viable model. As long as it's really relevant to learners. Sure. And so CSU Global's got an interesting mission um, that it is workplace success through higher education. Okay. There are lots of traditional institutions with missions, you know, for liberal arts type things, um, other reasons for them, but Global's extremely focused on that. And for non-traditional students, which means they are not students that are coming directly out of high school into college. School is not the only thing that they're really focused on doing. They are juggling usually family responsibilities, uh, community work, as sure. well as actual work uh, to feed themselves and their families. So it's a really different kind of a model, um, and that's how we've come up. And because we're very focused on what are the programs, academic programs, degrees, certificate programs, courses, uh, that will actually help students – get and keep jobs into the future yeah. that we only have the 26 degree programs but they're very clearly aligned with the workforce needs and so we are able to not only attract about we add 6 to 900 students every month and wow. we have monthly starts uh, for eight week terms that we there's an overwhelming demand for helping this type of a population help them move forward in their careers and continue to learn and upskill so we're very viable without state funds and um continue to be so and but we are very lean right um, everybody's very accountable mm-hmm.
0: but you're to be clear you, even though you don't receive state funds uh, you're, you're different from sort of the for-profit university model.
1: Right? Oh, absolutely. When you look at all of our rankings, um, third-party reviews, we are always at the top. Uh, because we fall within the CSU system, which is a wonderful thing, uh, where our sister campuses, CSU and Fort Collins and CSU and Pueblo, um, those hallmarks of high quality, credible education, we are absolutely uh, part of. And so CSU Global's success has really been that we are that high-quality, affordable, but workplace-relevant yes. um, educator. And so we've taken that to heart, and we have a return-on-investment paradigm that our students are able to see. They We We use third-party assessments. When they come into us, we have an assessment. And when they leave, we actually can show them the growth in critical thinking, reading, writing, math, and sciences. Um, When they're with us, by the way, they get free 24-hour, seven-day-a-week support, uh, live tutoring, live tech support, Mm -hmm. access to the career center and library services so that they're getting a return on their money then. Um, Then as they move through, we can measure their growth. And we measure cohort graduating salaries, um, one year after and thereafter. So we are always tracking, are we providing return on investment? So that, and we survey the employers as well to make sure that they're very satisfied with our, with our alumni. And so that is a whole new level of what we call academic quality. So while we can, be placed very high in the rankings for what are traditional paradigms for that. We also look very much at what's relevant to our type of student to make sure that we're providing them what they came to us for.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So, I mean, the the theme of that strikes me as accountability at every level.
1: Absolutely, we're absolutely data driven. Um, that is, it, that sets. Who isn't the, these days, right? Right. Well, you'd be surprised. <laughs> but we look at our data in real time. We uh, everybody here has access to wow. our data warehouse, so we see the leadership reports. We see the data on student satisfaction, retention, graduation rates, uh, certificate of completion rates. We are always looking at that and figuring out as our students have evolved over the years. When we think about global open data time where we had a lot of baby boomers mm, our average okay. age of our student really hasn't changed it's been 35 oh, wow. but back then it was baby boomers type um, students or, or um, i guess generation at y, no, gen y. X. Um, and we've moved now to gen x okay, um, and you. now gen z but the demands are different uh, not mm-hmm. only do we have all the data on their engagement but baby boomers are very different students in the way that they would follow through versus what we saw with um, Gen X, then Gen Y, then Gen Z. Yeah. So we are always having to evolve and change with the times and measure that data because what was satisfying to a baby boomer is not so much necessarily what a Gen X student
0: is looking for from us. Oh, no, certainly not. And I, I need to take a step back here because I, I'm struck and I hope you don't mind me commenting on this, but I'm struck by the modesty of this office <laughs> because it, we're, you're the CEO of CSU global, which is a big deal. I mean, let's call a spade a shovel here. That is a big deal, but yet this office is not what you would, you know, potentially expect if, if you go to the cliche of the CEO. And it, is that an intentional choice or is that, you know, Hey, I don't need a lot of this. I, can you? Tell me what goes into that a little bit.
1: I am really a leader of very dedicated, very smart, very savvy staff and faculty. Uh, you cannot be in an organization like this that continues to grow vertically. You know, we now serve right. about 20,000 students. We've graduated almost 14,000. We have served, therefore, 34,000 students.
0: Jeez. That, yeah, that's a remarkable size. Yeah. Can you imagine
1: the pace? So, not <laughs> only are we, you know, growing in in number of students that we serve, but we also go into these really innovative areas of credit transfer for organizational training. We have competency-based, we have prior learning assessment. We are always looking at our academic programs and how we are operating in the best interests of our very non-traditional students. So it's a highly dynamic environment. And so I am yet a cog in the wheel. I, I understand I'm at the top, and I do set that pace. But really, the fact that as you walk around the entire space that we have here, you'll see that we have cube sharing. We have three and four to an office. What we have is less about that than what we are doing. Doing. Mm-hmm. And because we can measure our outcomes and we take great pride in moving people and students forward, that's where we feel satisfied and successful. It's not about the size of my office. And by the way, this used to have two people, you know, and we have faculty <laughs> in. they share, we share, they come in, they can use this desk. That's why I have the second chair or the second uh, table thing here. <laughs> we just scoot the, over that printer and someone can sit there. It. It is really a space for everybody. And so the fact that I even have a dedicated office, we're moving to space, we've already kind of designed it, where we will be uh, sharing 10 offices, Uh, you have to sign up if you want an office, otherwise, I'll be out on the floor, (laughs) very much like a high tech company, right? Because collaboration in high speed organizations in, in highly dynamic environments really have to truly be collaborative. And so people don't want to be in an office where they're isolated from what's going on. Mm. And we also have a lot of remote work. Uh, We allow this very flexible schedule coming and going. We don't keep up with where you are, right? Just like our students.
0: There's no one taking attendance.
1: Not at (laughs) all. Uh, We have technology that can track the work that each one of our staff members are doing and where, and, and faculty and when they're in the classroom, what our students are doing. So for the same environment that we have for our Students we have for our organization. Okay, um, that we have employees and faculty that live around the U.S. And to your first question about our students, uh, we do serve in Colorado. Um, sixty, there's sixty three counties. Oh wow! Out right? of the sixty four, yes. So we serve sixty three <laughs> out of the sixty four. We have students in those um, or graduates. Okay, we uh, have students in every U.S. state and territory. In, wow. Yep. And then we have students, including like Guam. Yes. Really? Oh, yes. No, we do. I hear from them. Uh And then we have students that are in fifty over fifty five countries. That last count, oh, most are military, right? So they're still oh, U.S. Sure, yeah. But we do have students actually living in countries of that we have no association with. It's just they have found us online, and and we serve. We also provide the graduate level programs and a partnership but under uh, their brand for the saudi government okay so we um, are very international in that way i've presented um, for jordan and we have um, also done some work i've presented in china with the model and you know can we do more to serve on a more global basis
0: sure does that present a unique marketing challenge for you because part of the brand and part of the the value proposition that you expressed was being part of the CSU system, how well known is the CSU system outside of Colorado?
1: In certain countries, very very well known. Uh, they <laughs> definitely they have uh, quite a few students in Saudi Arabia uh, that come over, right? So they actually physically show up in Fort Collins and in China.
0: Oh wow, okay. Um, but in terms of marketing yourself, you know, it's it's CSU Global. Um, you're balancing between sort of having a local presence versus uh, a large scale presence. Is that what kind of problem does that present as you're trying to get the word out about who you are?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question, you know, without state funds and the fact that we must be self-supporting, but we have the high standards of the CSU system and the cost that that takes in regards to academic programming and all the levels of data and metrics that we track. So it is not inexpensive to run that, but we are very, very careful. We look at our reputation, we look at our outcomes, and we do what we can. We're fortunate because we're Internet-based, And all of our data, we are very transparent in our outcomes. So we mostly present in the U.S., but again, you know, I've gotten, received emails and calls from other countries to ask to present the information of what we do here at CSU Global, and I'm happy to go out there and and share uh, for the greater good for all students across the world. But we probably don't do as much as, you know, some of the other institutions that maybe get state funds or that are private and therefore can get investors. Oh. You know, when you think about that for-profit market, uh, they have unlimited funds because they just keep getting investors who, of course, want a return financially, right. wh- which creates the conflict, right? I am, sure. a, my background is business. I, I totally understand what it is that that model does. But that is not what CSU Global is here to do. It is about high-quality, affordable, and career-relevant education. And under the CSU system with that brand, we need to uphold it, and we do a really good job at it.
0: Well, I think to that end, this is why you and I have always kind of hit it off, right? There's limitations, and there's almost like – there's like fences, you know, that you have to sort of play within. And then there's a problem that you have to almost solve or a goal that you're driving towards and you don't know exactly how you're going to do it, but you know what your limitations are. So let's get in there and be creative. Oh yeah. Is that a fair way of characterizing it?
1: It, it really is. I, maybe as, even as a child, you know, always looking at, I grew up, I'm a third generation Japanese. So oh. you can imagine all the rules growing up. In that type of an environment. Certainly. Um, my dad is first gen. So I, maybe I'm second, if depending on how you want to look at that, but a lot of rules on behavior and you know, how do you have those rules, but then still be the person you want to be?
0: <laughs> right?
1: And so I operate really well in shades of gray and, and finding creative ways to make sure we don't break the rules, yeah. but that we're able to actually achieve what we're here to do. And so I don't look at any of those things other than and challenges, and it, it's just something that we can figure out a way around. Um, so, yeah, uh, and we do that even at Global with uh, experimentation. Hmm. We're really big on that. So we will think of great things and really interesting ways to solve problems and challenges, and they're not always successful. But at any given time around here, we're running seven day eight different experiments where we are watching data to understand the tweaks that we are doing at anything, um, whether it's a different kind of an enrollment experience uh, or a different ch- a change in a course. How are students reacting? Is it more positive? Are they more engaged? Are they learning and are they achieving at a higher rate? You know, those are positives. And then we run a lot of experience where we hope to get there, but we don't actually see that. So a lot of what we ultimately have been recognized for has been in the works for many, many years under um, small, very inexpensive tests. Like pilot programs. Yeah, there's a book, um, Jugard. J- uh, which is about – it's from India and an mm. innovation, um, frugal innovation. Okay. And I just got a copy of it and I was reading it. And it's so much as how global has evolved and will continue to evolve. Because in order to innovate, you must have extra money to be able to do that. So you have to conserve from your general budget right? extra money from that. So you have to get more efficient in that so that you have funds to run these small-scale experiments – so that you can keep tweaking and keep experimenting so you actually get something that actually moves the meter and gets to the goal.
0: So what are some of the things that you have brought in recently? What What are some of the changes that CSU Global has seen?
1: Mm-hmm. We are adapting. So we will relaunch CSU Global in December of this year. Oh, it's- Wow. It's not a creative name. It's 2.0 because we just got busy working on this stuff (laughs) rather than come up with some new fancy title. But it is CSU Global 2.0. It is taking the eight years of data that we have and recreating every department based on that data. So for the students, they will have a, um, a, a new course environment, more tools aligned to workplace. So when we think about the project management uh, academic program, that you're using the tools that you would if you were a project manager inside of companies Mm -hmm. so that there'll be more plug-and-play. Looking at that, we are even taking our accounting program. It's not just accounting as you would have because we know that robotics... And AI will be taking over the general accounting as we know it today, Hmm. and so that is going into accounting automation and and management. Because you know you'll still need people to manage. But you need oversight. Yeah, but you're not actually going to be doing the actual accounting work necessarily. So, anyway, we're we're looking at all the programs, and then adding in personal learning paths so that students have more choice, and that they can choose that maybe they need some. More help you know more math help or or help with understanding certain concepts. so they will be able to choose the path that has more support while they're still in the same classroom. Oh. So they're not leaving to go learn it out on the side or go through remediation or even adaptive learning necessarily, they are choosing that they they need some more support here or they don't in this next class need as much support, and that's by modules. All of our classes have eight modules. So that as they move through, if they have issues and trouble and challenges, they can go to get 24-hour seven-day-a-week free tutoring that we talked about. But they can also learn it on their own and get help from their instructor as they go into a different part of the course to get that extra support. So that environment will allow a a customized and more individual experience for each of our students. Hmm. So that is new in our student advising. They are looking at each of our students and understanding how they want to be communicated with um, and what their needs are, and we create customized profiles for each of the students so that, for instance, I'm not very good at necessarily answering phone calls as well as good as I am in answering texts and email. You will always find me, no matter what kind of conference or meeting I'm in, I'm still able to keep up with what that is. So for me, it may not be a phone call, but for another student, that's what they prefer. So they are customizing that environment for the students as well. And internally with every department, we've got new software for financial projections, and we have for HR, new software for recruiting and what those pathways look like for every department to get the help and support that they need Hmm. in an affordable but very flexible uh, way so that Each of the staff and faculty members here can get what they need in the way that they want it as well. So making sure that the type of environment for our students and the flexibility that we've provided for their learning is the same for working if you are a member of CSU Global.
0: Wow. Okay. That's. I mean, it. It sounds like you're. You're almost reengineering it from the ground up. Well,
1: right, and that's why it is 2.0.
0: Sure. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, it
1: really yeah. is going to be very different. Um, and we've started already, of course, this fiscal year, but it will be done by December of 2018, uh, and then it'll give us uh, six months or so before we hit what we call fiscal 2020, which is July 1 of 2019.
0: Okay. It's it's fascinating listening to you talk about this because if you – I mean, if you Google your name, right, you get any number of media hits or you know interviews that you've done. And it seems like with your chops, uh, you could do almost anything, right? And you came out of a business background. So I'm curious what it is about this that drew you away from the business world because this is not admittedly the most lucrative place to <laughs> – to to make a living. I mean, higher education is you already don't receive state funding, but, you know, you hear about the crisis in higher education um, and, you know, you talk about how you run very lean. So with your chops, you know, what drew you away from the business world to, you know, apply your talents here?
1: So all my years in private equity and in running through various organizations, my, my expertise is in the second stage, where an organization may have a revenue model, but it's not actually profitable. Right. Okay. So how to? Go, so I would go in. I didn't have any money, so I was sweat equity, uh, go in and actually work for the partners to do a turnaround and help with uh, the next transition. But it would be to get those organizations usually to some level of profitability. So I did that and have lived around the world and loved it. But I felt like in the next phase of my life, the big question was, what was I going to do? And through all those businesses and organizations that I was placed in to work on, the one thing that I was always complaining about were the college grads and the fact that we were they were wanting a lot of money or were being paid a lot of money, but actually couldn't do the actual work we needed to. They weren't to, delivering, yeah. To have a viable organization, sure. so I had that, and then I've also lived and traveled all over the U.S. or, or all over the world, excuse me. Um, and in all that experience, what I found were those countries and the governments and the people were very dedicated to getting their kids through higher education, to higher education, and to getting them college. Degrees. And then i come back to the U.S. and be faced with news about lack of high school diploma achievement, that students weren't interested in going to college and mm. increasingly that it was not relevant, you know, so there's this big mismatch. So when I thought about what was I going to do with the next phase of my life, it was about how do I address something that I'm complaining about and actually do something? Because I believe you shouldn't complain about something unless you're willing to actually do something about it.
0: Well, it's so, kind of like a problem is only a problem. If you can present a solution. Otherwise, it's just the way of doing things,
1: right? And nobody wants to hear you talk about. It. Well, I don't want to hear you talk about it if we're not going to actually try to fix yeah. it. So I felt like, all right, this is the one area that I need to address. I this is what I will do with the next phase of my life. And of course, to do that, you need a PhD. That's kind of a barrier entry. So I went and got that. And I thought that I would work with one student at a time, particularly at a community college, hmm. and try to inspire them to stay in school and complete their AA degree and move on to a bachelor's degree. You know, that was what I. was focused on. But when I, when we moved to Colorado and purposely picked a Colorado to live, when was that? uh, 2008. Okay. Perfect. That global, I'd sent out my resumes to all the community colleges to do that level of work. And I got called from somebody from this campus, uh, this university, and they needed a practitioner to actually work on the curriculum because of its mission uh, towards work. They needed somebody who'd actually worked it but also had a PhD. So I came in and started working on that curriculum and then ended up doing a little teaching. But I, how I ended up with staying with Global was really the fact that what it served and who it served – and the fact that it deserved a chance to survive and thrive because of the type of population that it was meant to address, Okay. which at that time really was not a big population. Now, non-traditional students, whether they're served or not, represent 75% of, My word, really? of all those that are, are going to college. Wow. It's huge. And so meeting those really distinct, unique needs... um, is what CSU Global can do, and so that is why I have stayed to ensure that the um, institution would not only survive but would be very viable and sustainable into the future.
0: Well, it's almost like a marriage of your passion for developing students and equipping them with what they need to th- thrive in the workplace with your background, you know, making institutions profitable. It's, it's almost like this, this perfect nexus. Sometimes the universe reveals itself to you in a weird way.
1: Right. I, uh, I'm not necessarily intentional about where I'm going to work next or what I'm going to do. It's just really staying true to my values. And so you're right. The fact that I am passionate about helping people help themselves, this opportunity opened itself up to me. And it was what I intended to devote my next phase of my life to doing. And I've just been so honored, and it's been a great, great time. I have loved every moment of it, almost every moment of it. Well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's so rewarding on so many levels, and to be able to have the staff and faculty that we do at CSU Global who are absolutely driven and committed to the same type of mission that um, I see as achieving, that it, it makes it a lot more fun.
0: Yeah. You know, I've been on a run of shows here where I've been talking to a lot of sort of d i y people you know it's like them, it's their shop, it's their side hustle, it's mm. them doing and and largely solo right, and they're very much at the beginning of their journey and so one of the themes that I wanted to touch on here was how many employees do you have here?
1: We have about a hundred. And 65.
0: Okay. And as as the leader and, you know...
1: Oh, and about 500 uh, part-time faculty. Oh,
0: I cut you off. Jeez. No,
1: that's okay. And then we have about 50 contractors working on curriculum, those areas. Any uh, number of projects. Of yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Uh, that is a lot of people to be the leader for. And I'm curious how your time ends up divided, you know, between whether it's curriculum or whether it's HR, whether it's marketing, whether it's you know dealing with something with the building that you occupy. Um, how does your day typically get divided?
1: That is such a great question.
0: I mean, I'm sure it's different every day.
1: It is, but I think on whole, right, I should be able to answer that. I would say at least 50%, 50 to 60% is people. Okay. No matter how much I love technology, no matter how many tools I bring in here, yeah, it's right. that human connectedness and the development of what it is to be in this organization and to be able to bring up the senior leadership, right? right? But With my background, it is unique. I'm not a higher ed traditionalist, mm-hmm. uh, nor am I just pure business when we talk about the work that we do at CSU Global and for global good, as right, we consider right. that, that it takes that it takes both of what I know and, and all the work that I've done in nonprofit to be able to run CSU Global. And so it's passing that knowledge on to my senior leaders. And and all the leaders, actually, in this organization. So I spend about 60% there. I spend uh, 25% about of my time on new initiatives, looking at what are the next new things that we need to be addressing here. And I raise those to my senior leaders, and because they're the ones that ultimately are going to run with those. But I am really the instigator of change and meeting the next market needs. And then the balance of the time is spent... Actually running operational things, hmm. looking at P&Ls, challenging the different departments in areas of operations. Wow! So, and in amongst that, of course, I speak a lot on this on uh, for higher ed and in business. Yeah. So I travel quite a bit, but I have got it down to a science. I usually can get like a four six o'clock flight out of Denver, hmm. and I land wherever I am at midnight whatever that is, when I do my speaking engagement and I get back on that plane and then I come back so that I am back where I need to be because not only do I have CSU Global, but I've also got initiatives running at Beyond Campus and I know that they need attention and the people need time with me there as well. So it has been, when I say seven days a week, it Mm -hmm. has been (laughs) and more, but you know, it's not I love the work, I love the people, and I like the challenge. Yeah. And so it's not work when you get to do what you like to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, everything that you said to me, you said with a smile on your face, which is remarkable to me. And I would say that's rare, but that's my favorite type of show to do, where you find someone who is right where they want to be, and you know, you described to me this almost what some would regard as an insane schedule, and... You, you do it just uh, with a smile and a whistle, it seems like.
1: It's an integrated life. And, you know, I think increasingly as the pace of our market in the world uh, gets faster, that if people are not in what they really love to do, it's not possible to keep up, right? So mm-hmm. that you are, quote, doing work, but if it's not aligned with your passions, It's exhausting.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, It's totally draining.
1: Yeah. So that you won't be able to keep up and you won't be able to be an expert in whatever it is you say you're an expert in. Mm -hmm. And so I think I am evidence of that fact because in addition to all of that, you know, I'm always reading and looking at the next new leadership thing. What is it that they're saying? You know, is that really any different than what I know or (laughs) have learned right during my PhD? So I'm trying to stay on top of of those trends as well and the new demographics and and what you know, the new generations, what are they looking for in their leadership? So I'm very interested, right? So I am yeah. keeping up with that as well. But if it's because I am in my zone or what I know that I care about. And so when we talked earlier at the very beginning of this interview about me coming off the vital board and, and mm-hmm. looking and downsizing um, the other areas of my life and providing more focus, it's because I realized there's only so many hours of the day. And if I am to be the type of expert leader in whatever I'm in charge of, that I have to keep up with that. And therefore I have to be more focused on where I'm spending my time. I think my days of being able to have, quote, a well-rounded life (laughs) are gone. And so I better, gosh darn, be in something I really love.
0: Yeah, no kidding. And it's always the mark to me of when, when you're talking to someone special. And I told some people, this before I came down here. You know, they asked me what I'm what I'm up to and I told them that I booked this interview with you. And you have this ability when people talk to you that it feels like you have much more time than it sounds like you actually do. Every time I'm with you, I feel like I could pick up the phone and talk to you almost instantaneously, which I know is not true and I don't try that, you know, but I, I think it speaks to your ability to be present pretty much at all times. Is that something that you work on intentionally or does that come fairly naturally to you?
1: I'm a continual learner and I care very much about human connectedness and where other people are going and what they're doing. And so I guess that is natural, which is so interesting because really if you were to look up my scores on an assessment, I'm an introvert.
0: Uh, you're not <laughs> I gonna am too ne- actually how oh,
1: funny. Because you're not gonna find me necessarily looking to get to every party. You know, I do a lot of events because that's part of my role as a leader to mm-hmm. be there. But I have very real conversations or I don't necessarily have them. And right. so I, I do like to connect in a very genuine way. I am a really genuine person. I, I don't spend time where I don't believe that I can make a difference or can really connect. Right. And why I like you is that you're always so thoughtful. And you, too, connect. When you connect with people, you really are listening and you're taking it in and providing relevant feedback. And so that's um, – being able to do this with you today is, right. is so much fun.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure. I mean, that's – it's exactly the type of connection that you hope for and over 170-plus episodes. That's what keeps me coming back to this show because this show is – It's a labor of love. You know, I don't make any money from it and it takes a lot of time and you know, you're setting it up and all that, but you do it because you're seeking that connection and anyone who is willing to sort of sit down with me and take time to talk about themselves and talk about what they do. Man, I can't get enough of that. And it sounds like you're wired very similarly.
1: Yep. It does sound like that. I think that we can make a difference in somebody's day for whatever they're going through or dealing with, that maybe there's something in what we share that... It could be helpful and that's also why you know spending time with people it really does matter and so you see this well you can't really see it, but I have a pile of stuff that I came in to do today and it, I've gotten to none of it <laughs> which means this is will be my weekend homework right um, so that I can get real projects done but it's so important for me to connect with my people and figure out what's not working what's working and where can we go starting Monday right. because we have no time around here to wait it's about figuring out where we're at and moving forward
0: right it's. Uh, I remember reading this thing. There was a writer. Uh, he he just wrote online stuff, and he said there was something that I have written. He was signing off, like he wasn't doing this particular project anymore. And he said there was something that I wrote that only you and I in the entire world got, and that is a moment between us, and I will always treasure that. And I thought, God, that's <laughs> amazing. And you know, he's writing his own sort of eulogy for his writing career, but. When you go to anyone's eulogy, the stories are always about some seemingly meaningless interaction that someone else hung on to. And that is what connection is all about. And it's remarkable mm-hmm. to
1: me. And more important, every passing day, year, as we look at robotics, I mean, we will have within the next seven years more robots in our armed forces wow. than humans, you know, on the front lines. Um, And we'll be shipping, I understand, it's over a million robots a year at that point, and then becomes exponential. So I think robots are very valuable in a lot of different ways, Um, but humans are the ones that can... That human connection is not human to robot. Although, you know, I do love my iBot uh, Roomba <laughs> vacuum. Oh sure. Yeah, it's like our dog, and I follow it around, and it's it entertains me. Um, and it's very it's very interesting. That's pretty funny. He has his own personality. We actually have given it a name. Okay.
0: Oh, you, got, you gotta tell not, me. But
1: it is not. Oh, it's called Max, Max yeah, okay. my husband will say, "Max finished his job, and I was like, "Oh, did it take long? <laughs> we have full conversations, so again, while we could engage with him with robots, right. it is human connectedness that really makes uh, the world go round right. and will continue to have that very valuable input and in- and
0: in part and you're you're projecting human characteristics. Onto the robot, which is oh, yeah. which is fantastic. Because he
1: worked hard or he <laughs> didn't work hard. He seemed to go back and get recharged too many times.
0: Well that's yeah. why that movie Wally makes me cry every time. <laughs> that movie is oh, yeah. amazing. Uh I love that movie. Uh and I my kids to... have have started liking it too. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: well, we will have them in our lives. Yeah. Um, but I like being able to actually, I think humans are so complex. Uh, I think uh, robots will be so much easier, right? Because they're very linear. Um, and we know exactly what we've got in them, but humans are always interesting to me.
0: Oh, endlessly fascinating. You said this is a seven day a week enterprise that that you're working here, but when you do have downtime, where can we find you? Like Mm -hmm. what, what will you be doing to unwind or to get away? Like, because everyone needs some time to recharge. Like you can't draw from an empty well. So sometimes you got to fill that well back up. Mm-hmm. How do you fill it?
1: I like to spend time researching and looking at things that are interesting to me so i will actually spend just time by myself i'm an introvert right yeah, sure. so i'm very i'm very well entertained just doing what i do uh, but i do golf love to get out on the um green i have not played a lot in the last 2 years just given my schedule with both organizations
0: i have kids who are 3 and 1 i haven't played oh, in like 3 there you years. go
1: right <laughs> but i do love the game uh, and i for me it is a game i don't get all riled up about anything even when it's not so good, um, but I do enjoy that um, hike. We do mm-hmm. a lot of hiking and we bike. I like things, of course, that we can squeeze in in three or four hours. Golf is a whole different story, but yeah, right. uh, it it is nice. And I like to travel. You will find me between Christmas and New Year's, right after Christmas, um, till just like New Year's Day or right after, mm-hmm. uh, in some foreign country. We cool. we just did Panama this past year. It was very interesting. Went to Monkey Island and the San Blas Islands, uh, the year before that. We went to Japan and we were in Vietnam the year before that. So wow. whenever, and that, we did those trips in five to seven days. I My mean, word. it is just run and go. I, um, rejuvenate, I get a lot of rest on airplanes. I love long plane rides. Uh, you know, where else can you sit and sleep, watch free movies, and people come by and give you food and drinks? <laughs> you know, it's a perfect life.
0: Uh, there's a sports columnist named Bill Simmons, and he said if you could buy a superpower, he would buy the ability to sleep on airplanes. Yeah. Which I have that superpower, so I, and it's great. My wife does not have it. She can't sleep on a plane.
1: My husband cannot sleep on planes, but yes, as soon as it starts to – maybe even before it leaves the runway, but man, I'm out, and it's a great sleep.
0: Anthony Bourdain says uh, – he's like, I smell jet fuel, and it's like Nike will to me. <laughs> great. So, and he's not wrong. But I'll tell you what, I know you've got plenty going on here, so I'm appreciative of the time. Uh, this is when we do plugs on the show, so where can people learn more about CSU Global or learn more about you? Anything you want to plug, the floor is yours.
1: Thank you. Well, thank you, John, for giving me the opportunity to share a little bit more about me and about CSU Global. CSU Global information is at uh, csuglobal.edu. Pretty simple. And about me, you can find that just about anywhere. Or you can even call me. You know, my phone number and email is put into the student portal. Wow. So I get students who call me all the time. When you mentioned, you know, you feel like you could just call me. Well, in fact, you can. <laughs> I answer my own phones. We don't have secretaries, if you didn't notice. I, we have no admins and no secretaries. Uh, Everybody has an accountable job um, for which they're – It contributes to the organization and what we do here is our mission. So you can call me and you can email me and I will respond.
0: That's true. Every time I've called you, you've picked up the phone, which is remarkable. But uh, Dr. Becky Takeda-Tinker, this was an enormous pleasure and uh, I wish you and CSU Global continued success. Thank you. Ring the bell, class is over, and episode 172 of the John of All Trades podcast has reached its conclusion with Dr. Becky Takeda-Tinker, the president of CSU Global. You can find out more about her and about the organization at johnofalltrades.us. That's jon Trades.us. This episode and this show are a production of Deaf Communications. Check out deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us, or on the social media. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram, all under the same handle, Jl80Pod. New episode previews go up on Monday. New episodes drop on Wednesday. They're available on iTunes and Stitcher. Just search John of All Trades. You'll find us there. Hit that subscribe button. You get brand new episodes as they appear. You don't even have to do anything. So leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Those things help with the visibility of the John of All Trades podcast. We've been on a great roll here, and it only continues. I've been booking interviews left and right, so look for us next week. we got a brand new episode coming with someone fascinating from the business community doing great work. That's the type of thing I am proud to bring to you. And until I hear you back here then, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we we speak. speak.